1: afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland I'm Richard Celeste former governor of Ohio and proud City Club member it's my it's uh, it's my pleasure to introduce my friend and today's speaker the 69th governor of Ohio mr. John Kasich a Pennsylvania native Governor Kasich came to Ohio in 1970 to attend the Ohio State University. There, as a freshman, concerned about the state of the nation, he penned a letter to President Nixon, which spurred an invitation to the White House and a 20 minute meeting with the president. Governor Kasich may have wanted to return to the White House ever since. In, in 19. <laughs> In 1978, he began his political career in earnest, becoming the second youngest person ever elected to the Ohio Senate. Following that, he was elected to the United States House of Representatives, representing Ohio's 12th congressional district. In the House, Governor Kasich served as uh, arm, on the Armed Services Committee for 18 years, and more importantly, as chairman of the House Budget Committee for six years. He played a key role in both the passage of the 1996 welfare reform and the Balanced Budget Act of 1997. He was elected the 69th governor of Ohio in 2010 and re-elected in 2014. During his time in office, Governor Kasich helped turn an $8 billion shortfall into a $2 billion surplus, just the way you wrote this, John. (laughs) Cut, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. I'm not done. Cut tack, cut. Cut taxes, cut taxes by $5 billion and created more than 460,000 new jobs. He... 465,371 new jobs as of this morning. He he broke with his party, supporting Medicaid expansion, resisting Republican efforts to repeal, to repeal well, I don't, maybe they're all Democrats, John, I don't know, <laughs> to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act and declining to endorse the Republican nominee, Donald Trump, after John's own unsuccessful bid for president. Outside of politics, Governor Kasich. Governor Kasich had a successful career as an investment banker, a New York Times bestselling author, and hosted his own television show on Fox News. From McKees Rocks, PA, Columbus, Ohio, and now what? We might get a a glimpse today of his plans for the future. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) members of the City Club, please join me in welcoming (laughs) Governor John (laughs) Kasich.
2: Thank you. I know your family's here, but that was the worst introduction (laughs) that I have ever had. I mean, all right, so let me, you know, I told the story down in Columbus, in, and i tell it again here, some of you may not know. So in 1987, my parents were killed by a drunk driver, and I got a call from Dick and his wife asking if I would go and spend some Christmas with them, and I did, and that was such a, uh, well, what can I say? And so we've been really friends all along because we're very, very similar people. Um, I went out... <laughs> I went out to uh, Colorado, to Colorado College, and I had a professional speaking career. And Dick, you know, he, he bargained me down to virtually nothing. And uh, I tried to get out of it, and I couldn't get out of it, couldn't get out of it, couldn't get out of it, and he, I finally agreed to go. And I'll, I'll never forget it. We were sitting on the patio where I was just there not long ago, and I saw Dick in Colorado. Was sitting on the patio, and I've always admired Dick because I think he's a... Prototype of a, of a really cool public figure, smart, big, tall, good-looking, you know, all the things, all the things that you would want to have, in a public official, and, and also pretty, you know, creative. I mean, what, what is, Why are they laughing? This is true, creative and all that. And so we were sitting there on that patio and having a drink, and then he, you know, he spread himself out on this chair, and I looked at him, and. At the time, I think this was in, before I decided to run for governor, I was asking him about running for governor. And I think this was around 2006. And um, it was almost, knowing all that he'd accomplished, you know, as governor, in the legislature, ambassador, all these other things, in a way it was like looking at a retired gunslinger. (laughs) A guy that could just show up in town and take over. And, and, he, and a graying gunslinger, you know? And he said to me, that this is the best job you could ever have. You should try to get to be the governor. And, um, and then he told me the story of when he was elected lieutenant governor in the days when they ran separately. And he said he went in to see Jim Rhodes and said to Jim Rhodes, you know, I'm a, you're a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm, I'm really here to, uh, to help you uh, to, to be a great governor and uh, just let me know what I can do. And, Rhodes looks at Celeste and says, uh, uh, Dick, do you play golf? And uh, Dick said, no, I don't. Rhodes says, well, I'd suggest you take it up because there isn't going to be anything else for you to do around here. <laughs> I thought it was a great story. But then, he, you know, the way he phonied up all the campaign donations to run for governor, he didn't have any money, so they took out a big, I don't know how he even figured, this was outrageous. This is where we should have had, campaign reform. He, he, he got his father or his friends to finance all this, This took this money out of the bank. So when he filed a report, it looked like he had all this money. And then the next day, he put the money back in the bank. <laughs> that was outrageous, but really smart, really, really smart. And then we, so I'll tell you an interesting thing. He called me. This one was really meaningful. He wouldn't even remember this. He called me on a really important issue. Um, I guess it was about six months ago, and uh, he told me what he felt about this issue, something that is, you know, like, seminally important. And, and you know, he said to me on the phone, he said, no, this is what I think, but I trust your judgment. I trust your judgment. I know you'll do the right thing about this. Not another word. It ended up that I agreed with him, uh, so I'm sure he thought, that my judgment was good because it was the same as his, but uh, nevertheless, but that meant a lot to me that he was, that he kind of approached it like that. And then he has, over the period of the last several years, has been very, very, very concerned about me and has worked with me and told me things, and uh, isn't it great? It's just great that we could have this relationship. Uh, Dick, it wasn't long ago that I remember being in South Carolina, and you and Jacqueline were, you looked like hell, and you and your wife were riding on those bicycles, and we went to lunch to that broken, this is what life is about. Yes, and you know, uh, my wife and I love to have dinner with him. Uh, It's just great, and so he's, he's a great guy. Give him a great round of applause if you would, okay? Now. So I have this document that's 39 pages, this is unbelievable. This is what has been accomplished and this is not nonsense and it's single-spaced and it's, it's like not made-up stuff of all the things that have been accomplished in the last eight years. Uh, I don't have one for all of you, I'll give it to the press, they won't, won't read it, but I will give them that and, but it is online and they can find it where, Lynch? Okay, www.ohio.gov, whatever the hell it is. Uh, So, and uh, so anyway, just type it in there if you're really interested. And I was just talking to Dick's daughter and she said, thank you for the juvenile justice reform. I don't really remember it all. And I couldn't, I was going through this on a plane and I can't talk about this. But what I really think I want to tell you, talk to you about is something I've admired in Dick. And I, I believe in deeply. I liked it in George Voinovich. And that is leadership. So we looked at, and I came in, the place was a disaster. I mean, I remember going to New York, Albert, and having the, uh, the rating agencies tell me they were going to downgrade us because Ohio was dead. And I said, no, no, no. This, this is like a great basketball team with a seven foot one center who doesn't know how to dribble. Just we'll, it'll work out. And, uh, you know, Dick mentioned some of it, but we were a shambles. I mean, just terrible shape. But I, I knew we had it if we could just shine everything up. One of my goals, by the way, was to breathe as much new life as I could in this beautiful city of Cleveland. And uh, I think that's happened here. I think we really got our, got our mojo back and our momentum. I remember when I was first up here, by the way, because I was at this meeting and I was talking about this. And I said, well, you know, I'm from Pittsburgh and you're from Cleveland. And... I'm now the governor, and you know, Pittsburgh and Cleveland, they're just two different sides of the same coin. And the people started booing me. I said, well, when you won your first Super Bowl, give me a call, okay? <laughs> <laughs> then they booed me louder, you know, it was funny. But you know, we were really in bad shape. So the question was, could we balance the budget and cut taxes? And that's a, a, my philosophy. And uh, could we do it in a responsible way without hurting people? And we were able to get that done. Uh, At the time, you remember, we were running like uh, 89 cents in our rainy day fund. We now have 3 billion in our rainy day fund, and that's to be used in a crisis, okay? That's not to be just dribbled out here like politicians play Santa Claus. I know it's Christmas. I got my Christmas tie on, but you don't want to dribble that out there because inevitably, we will be caught where you're going to have a problem with revenues. And what I don't want to do is to see the most vulnerable who will be cut, because that's exactly where they will go. They will cut the most vulnerable. And secondly, they'll, of course, go after schools, which, by the way, need complete transformation. But I say, we got that money there. It doesn't last that long, Dick, right? I mean, it gives you a, a cushion, and it gives you an opportunity to do the planning you need to do so you don't have to ravage people's services and make sure that it'll work. So now we've got that money. We're up you know, almost 600,000 jobs, which is really pretty remarkable. And then what's exciting about it is the mix of jobs. You know, We've got Amazon, Google's making some kind of an announcement today. Amazon you know they're here Uh, think about Cleveland you know I I've always said that the Cleveland Clinic is like the greatest asset the state of Ohio has and what they do there uh, with not just the service they provide but also with their ability to commercialize products through their R&D it's just it's an amazing amazing place I'm so excited with data analytics, what's happening here, data centers all over the country. It's just not the same old Ohio. And we know it because as we've moved slightly away from manufacturing, what we've seen is an influx of new businesses that are resistant somewhat to the ups and downs and the swings of the economy. And Albert, when we were in New York this last time, because I had to go there and tell them for the seventh time I told you so, uh, you know, I was talking about the fact that normally Ohio we would peak and then come down. Now we're peaking and we're staying up. And that is a a sign of the resilience we have. Then I remember we we wanted to make sure we could do more infrastructure. And I decided that it was important to extract the value from the turnpike. And um, so I ignored the wanted posters that were placed all over the turnpike uh, with my face on it. And came to realize that some people thought they were married both to their spouse and to the turnpike. And which was against the law the last time I checked. spouses, but we calmed everybody down and we were able to extract the value. What did we do? We just issued bonds and we, we retire the bonds from the tolls that we bring into the turnpike. We've had a 30 percent increase in infrastructure spending over any administration in the history of the state. The roads are better, the dams are better, we just fixed the dam down in Columbus. I mean, we've done all those things because infrastructure is important and now we've moved to the next step, which is autonomous vehicles and sensors. Uh, All the things that you see happening now on the turnpike, we're using the technology of the 21st century to be able to do autonomous vehicles, semi-autonomous vehicles, connected cars, all that kind of stuff, drone technology. All these things are making Ohio really cool. And in fact, if you walk down the street sometimes, you will see some people walking with a shirt that just says OHIO on it, which I'd never seen before, because people are now proud to be from our state. Healthcare, you know, I think we have the lowest uh, uninsured rate in the history of the state. Somebody told me, is that right, Lynch? If it isn't, then, you know, forgive me, but I said it anyway. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, the Medicaid expansion was really important. It was not, it wasn't a hard, it was an easy decision, because you're going to get all this money, you're going to help all these people, but you can't bankrupt the state in the process, and we could manage that. And uh, so that has been a real winner. I was in Philadelphia speaking on... Friday, I guess it was, and I went to this little church. They're not a shelter. They'd have federal laws and rules and all this. is just so screwy about the way we treat poor people with bureaucracy and all this other nonsense. But I went in there, and they said that the people who were in need, uh, Dick, the ones that come into the into this uh, facility, they can't get food stamps because, first of all, they don't have an address. Secondly, they don't have an ID. And, I, and in our state, we have eligibility that's online. We don't we don't have to wait. We don't have to jerk people around. We're actually trying to do this by providing concierge service to those people who are coming in who need help because we respect them. Um, I've been very proud of what we've done in the area of race. I give Nina Turner all the credit in the world for working with us on the issue of police and community. A lot of that came about because of the tragedies that we saw up here in Cleveland. That's been a good thing. So uh, small businesses pay no taxes. So what's going on? People at the top are doing better. People at the bottom are doing well. We've paid attention to them. Whether you're drug addicted, mentally ill, whether you're developmentally disabled, doesn't matter. Everybody gets a chance. If you're in prison, if you want to get out, we'll figure out a way in which we can help you to get a skill so when you can get out, you can get a job. This is all the way it ought to be. And it's not Republican or Democrat, or it's just common sense in caring about people. So what I'm most proud of in these eight years, beyond the fact that we, you can go look at this thing, whatever, um, I don't think anybody got left behind. That's the most important thing. Uh, and if you didn't get everything you wanted and you were, you know, here at the bottom, at least I think you had the sense that there were people who cared about you. So back to leadership for a second. Leadership is you look at a problem, you go solve it. And you be creative about the way in which you solve it. And... If you do that and you don't worry about all the politics, then it's amazing what you can accomplish. I've never taken any polls. I don't put my finger in the air. I mean, I think about some things, you know, if nobody's pure in all this, but look at a problem and go fix it. So yesterday I'm in a meeting with, um, we we're talking about this ID you need to have. This is what's so great about this job. Uh, I was saying to my folks, well, do you need to have an ID to get food stamps? So I called the head of public safety. I said, why do we have to charge people $28 for a piece of plastic? Don't charge them, just give them an ID so they can they can survive. I mean, what's so complicated about this stuff, right? So the whole approach I've taken is that. Now, the difference between real death and political death, it, there's 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 two things that are the same. You will die in politics. Okay, it's coming. I don't know when it's coming, but you're not gonna like be in it forever. Your day's gonna come and you're gonna be dead, okay? I used to say as a former congressman, you don't need a phone because no one will take your calls and no one will ever call you back. Uh, but you know, the fact is you're gonna come to an end. I think, Dick, this is probably the way you approached it. When you're in, do something. It's not listening to your party or all this other special interest or all this other nonsense do something, because you don't know how much time you're going to have. And the other side is, of course, our lives here. I want to say that we am going to take your questions. You know, i, I I'm I've become convinced that many, many, too many people in our, in our world today are more interested in studying the sports page than they are thinking about the meaning of their life and the fact that they're not going to live forever. So to me, you know, you think of the great philosophers, whether it's Plato or Aristotle or whether it was Nietzsche, whether it was Rousseau, whether it was Augustine or Aquinas or whoever, they all spent time thinking about the meaning of life. And they were all agreeing on, and and the afterlife. Plato believed the soul lives on. Uh, But they all had one conclusion, we will all die. So the issue is, when you're here in this world, what do you do to live a life, a big life, a big impactful life? and a good life, and we know what good is. Every human being on the face of the Earth knows the difference between good and bad, right and wrong. I mean, we all do. We make excuses for why we don't do good or do right, but we all know what it is at the end of the day. So I think about what we can do in our lives to have a major impact. Now, we spend a lot of time wringling our hands about, uh, oh my god, Donald Trump and this, and did you see what happened today, and Pelosi did this, and I mean, really do you think those folks affect you that much? I mean, they set a tone and a mood. They do that. Um, and sometimes they can do impactful things, you know, that there's no denying that. But on a day to day basis, they don't have much impact. What, what impacts us? Our family, our friends, our neighborhood, our town, our school, uh, our neighbors, that's who affects us. Our job, That's what really every day affects us. And I have become convinced also that when you think about the greatest movements in our country that I just would recall, and I'm open to more, Dick, when you think about the civil rights movement, the Kennedys were, they were, they ran as fast as they could for the hills to avoid making a decision on it. Martin Luther King came out of the White House and was bitterly disappointed with what he got from the Kennedys. Um, How did, how did the civil rights movement happen? It happened from the ground up. It happened from these little churches, and from those little churches came Martin Luther King. King didn't start it, he came from it. And then they marched and they were alone and then they grew and then then some people from the north went down and they marched together. And civil rights was forced on the leaders. They had no choice but to go along. Let me, me, uh, you know, that's a good one. Let me give you another one, Vietnam. If the campuses had not exploded, I think we'd still be in Vietnam. And think about where we are today in Afghanistan. Seventeen years, we're still there. Nobody's saying much about it. But there's another example is Vietnam. I'll give you another one. How about women's suffrage? That you, you know how much they didn't want to have women voting? And they don't want to touch the issue. Or environmental awareness. See, the biggest movements get driven this way not this way. Yeah, every once in a while, you can have a Dick Celeste. Every once in a while, you can have a Reagan. Every once in a while, you can have an Obama. I mean, You can have those, but most of the time, most of the time and day to day, it comes from here. So the real question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter. You still can find your gift, and you can still change the world. And that's what I would argue. Albert, um, Ratner's 91 years old. He's telling me he's starting all these companies. Now he hates Dick for me to mention his name because tomorrow he'll get a call from a woman who'll say my nephew was an axe murderer but you've got to understand, ask Kasich to give him a pardon. So he says please don't (laughs) mention my name. But at the end of the day Albert Albert, uh, Ratner is 91 years old and he will still be doing things and helping people and driving movements from the bottom up the day they put him in the ground. That is a That is a life worth emulating, and uh, so that's all I got to say. Let me take some questions. Was that okay, Dick? Okay,
0: good. Governor, thanks very much. I'm just going to do a quick transition here. Oh. Hello, I'm Dan Malthrop, Chief Executive here at the City Club. Today, we're enjoying a forum with Governor John Kasich. Don't go anywhere. We're about to begin the audience Q&A, and we welcome questions from all of you, City Club members, guests, students, and those of you joining us via our live stream. If you'd like to tweet a question, please tweet it at the City Club, and our staff will work it into the program. Holding our microphones today are content coordinator, Bliss Davis, and City Club intern, Arimilo or Asanya. Where's Arimilo? Well, let's get the first question. I, I get to pick the questioners. Okay.
2: When I ran for president, anybody who quickly put their hand up, I never called on. Is there anybody else in here that would like to ask a question? Sir, would you sit down? It would be okay? All right, go ahead. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
3: uh, uh, I'm concerned about the water, continuing water quality in Lake Erie. Yeah. You haven't... Uh, mentioned you, you mentioned uh, the Cleveland Clinic as yeah. Ohio's resor- uh, important resource. I think Lake Erie is also one of our big resources. yeah yet I agree. it's a national and international problem. Yeah. Viewed from your perspective as Governor, what do you th- see needs to be done? And uh, with regard to your uh, last uh, remarks, uh, what what can we do? is uh, yeah citizens. that's really really good
2: um, I'm this is one of my big we first of all we spent about a billion dollars on the watershed and lately we were trying to declare uh, this uh, a watershed in distress and I had to go to the legislature to stop the flow of these nutrients into the lake and uh, the special interest group, groups got very involved and uh, they killed the more dramatic action that needs to be taken and then the legislature says they want to study it. Now, whenever you hear a legislator say, "I want to study this," okay, you know what that means, okay? Now, once in a while, they actually are interested in study, but what they should say is, "I want to figure out how not to do this." And the agriculture community got into went crazy over this thing, uh, particularly because now it, it mentions fertilizer, which drives that industry crazy. Now. It is, we did this at Grand Lake St. Mary's probably, I mean, it's not perfect, but the lake is much better than it was, because when you let these nutrients flow in there, and now, because of the increase in heavy rainfall, there's more stuff being dumped into that lake. And um, what I think people ought to do is they ought to demand that lake be protected. I mean, it's no different than gun control. I mean, I, 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 got, I don't have people just demanding that we have a red flag law. What's the red flag law? You work with somebody who's unstable. You work with somebody in your family who's unstable that poses a threat to yourself or somebody else. You go to a judge. If the judge agrees, you take their gun. I can't pass that. They couldn't pass, Hickenlooper couldn't pass it in Colorado. Why? People are not interested. I mean, you are interested, but you don't know what to do about it. So when it comes to the lake, I would hold every one of these legislators, senators, House members, you're going to fix that lake. I don't want any excuses. I don't want any nonsense. Go fix the lake. And if you don't fix the lake, okay, then I'm going to have to think about what's going to happen when you run for re-election, and that's what you got to do. And so, sir, the plan is, is it's a long process. You don't get, nobody comes on your land and takes your farm away or anything like that, but it does say that you shouldn't be putting fertilizer. We have this now on frozen ground so it runs into the lake. But the same thing is true with uh, you know with this with this uh, these new kind of nutrients, and just have a plan, and we'll work with you, and we'll help you, and we'll pay you to get this thing done. But it's it's not. We did a lot. The lake is better, but it is still not what I want, and still not what we think we should have. And you know somehow, the environment really does matter. Uh, I I I just don't you know. who started it? Teddy Roosevelt. He was the greatest conservationist. Nixon started the EPA. It's, I mean, it's just so unbelievable. So <laughs> we need to, we not need to worship the environment, but we need to be good stewards of our environment. And that's, we need to preserve this as a jewel, okay? But you should be really happy that I mentioned the Cleveland Clinic and not Ohio State, okay? <laughs> so there was another, yes? Yes. There was a guy right here, somewhere. Yeah, right here. Jump up and, oh, you gotta have a mic.
4: Oh. oh, well, I guess I'm lucky. Hello, Governor.
2: <laughs> Hello.
4: My name's Kevin E. Gilmore, and I actually wanna thank you publicly. This is the best place to do it. But before I do that, I have to tell you why I'm thanking you publicly. At the age of 13, I went into foster care, and I attended five high schools, I only went to Cleveland State because I needed a place to live when I aged out at 18. I slept in my car and I slept in shelters. Of all the things mentioned in your paperwork, what you forgot to highlight about yourself is that you extended foster care to 21 in yeah, Ohio. We did, uh, yeah. <laughs> I've tried for 16 years to leverage my story. This was the first place I really leveraged it to talk to politicians. Um, Because when you age out of foster care in Cleveland, you're given a welfare application and priority housing in the projects. And statistically, culturally, African-Americans populate that system. And so 36% of kids who age out of foster care who are African-American don't have a high school diploma. But 78% of kids who are in Ohio in foster care are black. So I want to thank you publicly for extending foster care after me trying for 16 years to 21, not only did you extend it, you gave it an $11 million budget. And I was there that day.
2: Yeah, well, that's a beautiful that's Wait, wait, great.
4: wait. I'm not done. <laughs> and I brought the picture. Um, okay. My question to you is, now that you're well, that leaving. that was so
2: good. Why don't you just stop there? <laughs>
4: My question to you is now that you're leaving, yes. because this industry generates $26 billion a year, right? You don't have a seat at the table when you are a foster kid, but you did that for us. When you leave, what will be the nature of that particular population? Because you gave it $11 million, well, but funders to, uh, are at the well, table.
2: You, once it's in there, it you've got to have, what would I recommend you do? You, grab, you get all the people who have been affected like you have, and you get down there and start working now to say we need that money. Okay. Now, when I, I remember that whole decision because I was a little worried we were going to spend too much money. And to the credit of my staff, they said, we're, you've got to spend this money. And I don't remember exactly what the initial total was, but I'm, I'm happy with what we've done and heard great stories. And you, you know, I mean, look at how articulate this lady is. And so here's a, here's a really interesting thing for those who are agnostics or whatever. People ask me, look, 1987 when my parents were killed, I'd already been a, a person that, you know, Understood faith and God and meaning and, and all that, but then I kind of went to school, college, and then I kind of forgot it. God became a, uh, a Santa Claus for me, but I spent 31 years of my life examining my role, my relationship to our Creator. Now, if you're if you're if you don't believe that, I'm I'm cool with that, okay? But I believe it, and what that thing, what that faith has told me is the dignity importance of every single human being that the dignity all are equal in the eyes of the Lord and so when I see somebody struggling what am I supposed to do I have to think about them and if it means I've got to break some glass on the way or break some china so what we met with a group of people from Pike County Scioto County and Jackson County yesterday these are really hard bitten poverty drugs and you know what I'm, I'm bleeding for those, those kids and those people. But I also say to them, I'm not carrying you. I'll, ca- I'll help you. You're going to carry yourself, and you're going to rise. And so this, this idea of giving everybody a chance to rise is embedded, really, in, my, in the way I look at the world. Now, I mean, say I have faith and all that. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. When the, t- when, it, when the whip comes down, we'll see how much. I hope it's there. But I know that I have a duty as a human being to treat you with respect even if I don't like you, okay? But I like you very much because of your kind words. So uh, <laughs> I wanted you to know that. Next question, who's got the microphone here? We've got lots of hands up, let's.
5: Hi, Hi Governor Kasich. Um, sir, um, my question is on criminal ref- uh, reform. Yes. And my name is Francine Hawkins. Um, I am the sister of Arthur Tyler. Um, a young man who has been um, behind prison... um, in prison for 35 years, Um, and I would like to thank you publicly for um, granting him um, eligibility for parole. Um, My brother has done everything possible um, from 2014 that he could do um, to um, be released from prison. You granted him that um, eligibility in April of 2014. Well, in September of 2018, I mean, uh, 2018, you granted him eligibility for parole. 2018, September, the parole board gave him three more additional years. And what I can't understand is um, how three more years is going to
2: To make it any better for him.
5: Make it any better.
2: Well, look, I, I would just tell you, uh, ma'am, that first of all, I'm, I'm sorry this, obviously, this pain that you're going through seeing your own family member. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at all of it, but we have a pretty good system here when it comes to how we move forward, and I have been willing to move to, repeat, you know, get clean people's records when appropriate, but I have to, I work through the, the head of the prison system, the parole board to try to, and my staff itself comes to me with recommendations. So we'll see where that, where that is, and uh, we'll, we'll just check it out. And I don't know everything about it, but you know, w- we'll see. Okay? All right. Uh, good
6: afternoon, Governor. Hi. I'm Merle Johnson, I'm on the State Board of Education. Um, I appreciate how much you care. Uh, about the people of Ohio. Um, I'm very concerned that a number of of students in Ohio are struggling uh, in the school districts and the majority of them are low income. House Bill 70 was developed. Uh, I realized it was, you meant well uh, to try to improve districts, but what's happening is it's not working. Youngstown and Lorraine still have an F, uh, even though uh, six people, Academic Distress Commission, CEO, uh, went into the districts. To try to improve it. So my question is: Since those districts still have an F, um, what justifies um, taking over East Cleveland uh, with the same system? And secondly, did you look at the strategic plan that was developed by the State Board of Education to be to use that as a blueprint to begin to improve our districts?
2: Yeah. Well, I appreciate your your words, your kind words. Um, I don't agree with you at all, okay? When a school constantly fails, you must shake the school system up. And in Youngstown, yeah, you, you're right. They're still not getting their head above water, but they're not on the bottom of the ocean anymore or the bottom of the river. They're rising. And I have to tell you, I've had enough of school board politics, okay? All po- school board politics. Those kids have to come first. The Youngstown Vindicator, there's ne- there was a time when the Youngstown Vindicator wouldn't write anything in that newspaper where they didn't attack me now we stand together in great solidarity on the fact that this program must continue over there now what the what happens when your school district fails and fails and fails what happens is you want to go and say I'm gonna put a CEO and I'm gonna change the whole system and I'm gonna empower a CEO to come in and fix it and impose discipline and change the rules sort of like what we did up here in Cleveland oh are we gonna say the Cleveland is a failure it takes time but you gotta shake up the system. So I believe that it is necessary to do it and I think there's a lot of political pressure on members of the legislature who don't wanna see us take control if their school fails year in and year out and year in and year out, this is a constituent pressure. They're not providing leadership in 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 my opinion. Now, let me talk about education a little bit. We are running an education system in this country that is based on the way we raised and taught kids 100 years ago. It is so old and so dilapidated and lacks so much creativity and imagination, not everywhere, but too many places, that kids are being treated in a way that's very rote, R-O-T-E. And let me, it, let me tell you what my vision would be. First of all, kids should not spend five days in a school. I think kids, face so let, let them spend four days in the school. Or, okay, five days this one week and four days the next. You know what I like to do? I'd like to have one of these kids that's interested in or good in math or interested in business. You know where I want them to get their education at the knee of Albert Ratner. If they're interested in being a nurse, I want them to be in the Cleveland clinic working with nurses. If they're interested in, in autos, in, in cars. Okay. They go home at five o'clock to work on cars. Why don't they work on cars during the day? And why don't they go work at a car dealership? You see, I think we need to get education more where kids are out getting experiences that are real, where they learn about how to conduct themselves, show up on time, manners, the way to dress, and the, and the inherent nature of what they're interested in. My daughter, one of them, I have two of them, one of them is in fashion. She went to work for Pink. She went to college, and guess what? She told me in the very first few weeks she was in college, she could have taught the class because of what she learned about statistics. My daughter's telling me I love math. I'm like, who, who am I speaking to on this call, okay? Because she saw the relevance of statistics when it came to, to, to fashion. She got so excited about it, and by the way, she's been selected now, is the only student in her school. She goes to Columbia College of Chicago, which, by the way, is a, from what I can see, an incredible school. It's a school for kids that are creative and what they do is they get the kids out there into the community while they teach them she's now been selected as the number only kid from her school to go to the National Retail Federation won a scholarship in New York City i mean not not bad my other daughter is in pre med down at clemson and let me tell you she spent the whole time she was in high school going to moms to be it's a program for poor mothers who are at risk with their pregnancies she she all she does is study she's Dick, I was down there with her. Went down. Well, she does, and uh, and I'm, and I, she's got these formulas she's writing. And I said, "Sweetie, what is that?" She said, "Daddy, that's chemistry. Don't you know?" And so, but she got inspired. We need to inspire our young people. We need to connect. Am I right? Right here. Look at them. They're all agreeing with me because they don't have to go to school five days a week. But but let me explain to you. It is then on all of us as adults to assume the responsibility of educating those young people when they come into our midst. Now, I propose two things as the governor recently. Think about this. Now, I want to talk about Lordstown. Two things. That every single school board in Ohio ought to have two non-voting business, men or women on the board. De- no, defeated. Defeated. I also propose that when a teacher gets a new certification, they ought to spend about a week in some business, a bank or whatever it is, okay, defeated. Do you understand what's coming in this country? You know why Lordstown's closing? Because it's a car that is not selling and it's not selling and then you put the tariffs on, there's no, I mean it's selling but there's no profit, put the tariffs on, there's no margin you can't tell a company to make cars that, that's, that, that are losing money, okay? But why weren't we, th- we were kind of thinking about this, they had to get a new car in there and all that. But here's what I'm worried about. Are the workers resilient? Can the workers figure out that there's another opportunity in another place? And by the way, we're, explo- we're gonna explore all of that. Can we get another car? Can GM put something in that plant? that it may not be a car, but may create very worthwhile economic activity. And if they're not, then sell the darn thing, so we can do what we did in Dayton, where we took the closed-down GM plant in Dayton and brought a Chinese company in that now employs 2,400 people at salaries they never thought of at the GM plant. Okay, so we're on it. But you see, to me, where is, where's GM going? Electric cars? Bigger cars? So I said to him, I talked to the CEO the other day, I said, Okay, what are you going to do when gas prices go up? She said our crossover cars have the same kind of gas mileage as our small cars because of technology. So where are they going? They're going to electric cars. Are we ready? Are are we educating people to know how to be in the electric car business? Are we telling people who work in accounting that AI or machine learning is going to come and you're not going to have a job? What is the next job that's coming? And let me paint the good side of this. So I went to an autonomous vehicle display up in Dublin, Ohio. Uh, Dick, you, you've got to go do this sometime. So they have, they have these cars and they're driving, through the, they're driving through the intersection and the light doesn't change. It keeps it, if it's going to go from yellow to red, the, the, the other light will not change, change green. Saves lives. A lot of intersection wrecks. A lot of terrible things happen at the intersection. So they got a camera up here, and they got a camera up here, and a camera there, and a camera here, and they got sensors in the car and sensors on the road. And they got this big box that takes all of this information and grinds it down and sends messages to all these vehicles. Somebody's got to put the camera up. Somebody's got to put that camera up. Somebody's got to understand sensors. Somebody's got to put the sensors in the car. Somebody has to build the the big box that they put all the good stuff in. You see, there's an opportunity for better jobs for better jobs for people if people are resilient, if we think about the future, and if we educate our people, young people, and education must be lifelong learning. If we don't do that, that tsunami is going to come. The number one occupation in America today is driving. When we get autonomous vehicles, what are we going to do with those people? You think we're angry now. Okay, just wait. So we can get ahead of this. We can get ahead of this if we think ahead of it. This is why I admire Dick. Always thinking in the future. I think in the future. What's going to come? What can we do about it? How do we prepare? Our school system is not doing it. And our higher education system ain't working either. You know what the num- You know what the graduation rate, four-year graduation rate I just heard? Um, I'm trying to remember. Well, across Ohio, four-year schools? Uh, the, gra- the four-year graduation rate, I think Scott Milburn told me yesterday, is 31%. They don't even calculate it anymore like that. They calculate five or six years. You know why? Because the numbers look better. Uh, the number, the, the graduation rate at Ohio University for four years is 49%. C- can you explain that to me? Now, there were two basic institutions that I could never change, education and the Pentagon. I'm serious. And how do we change it? You've got to demand it. You gotta demand a fundamental change in the way these schools work, and we have to take risks. Because if we don't, we end up in the same place, and we're gonna pay a price. So, Lordstown, in some respects, not exactly, is sort of the coming, kind of the cutting edge of the turbulence that we will see in our economy because of the creation of new technologies, in my my judgment. I blame, I mean, who am I going to, I'm going to blame anybody now. I just know that we got to get, with General Motors, just one more thing about that. I called the, the CEO, we had a long talk, and I said our people at Jobs Ohio, which, by the way, is the greatest economic development organization in, this, in America in terms of the fact that they hire people who actually, this radical idea, they know business. It's crazy idea. I told her, I said, your people have to work with ours to come up with a solution. She yeah, 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 yeah. I said, Mary, you don't understand what I'm saying. I don't want lip service. Sometimes it hasn't been always that easy to work with your folks. This is deadly serious now. She said, I got it, and thank you for telling me this. And I guarantee you, we'll work with you. So we'll see what happens there. But that's just one example of what is gonna be a whole list of things that are gonna come our way that could take us either one way or the other. And if we prepare for it, if we change our education system dramatically, it'll work. The two-year schools, they rock. They get it. They're like the EMS of education. You want to get a job? You, you want to get a job? Oh, they're from Cleveland State. Um, <laughs> I know you weren't from, but but Cleveland State is a, not all the schools are this way, not all the schools. Let me tell you where it's all gonna end up, by the way, I think. Higher education is gonna be disintermediated because what's gonna happen is Mr. Ratner, I keep going back to him, in his younger days would have said, let me design a, a curriculum for the things that I needed for a city. And by the way, you young person, you take this curriculum and you pass it and I'm going to hire you. You see, that's the exciting thing is you take the area of coding. If you learn how to be a coder today, it's incredible what you can do. You could live in Appalachia and be a coder working for some of the biggest companies in the world. You see, where it's going to go is it's going to be very directed, tailored education, and that's why buildings are, yesterday, we got to build a new building. What, why the hell do we need to have dormitories built by the university? Why don't we have a private person build a dormitory? It'll be nicer. By the way, the cafeteria will be nicer. Why don't we do that? And it won't be an overhead for the unit. Forget it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, sir. Here's the dean. The dean of Cleveland, right here. Well, wait a minute. Beauty trumps age, so.
0: What's next for you, Governor?
2: (laughs) Well, I'm I'm flying down to Columbus to get my wife, and then we're flying to Washington for the funeral tomorrow. Uh, I I have a lot of things I'm thinking about. We'll see. Uh, In terms of politics, we don't know about that either. We have to see how things go over the period of of time. I can't put a finger on it. Dick and I talk about this all the time. Um, And uh, I I don't know, but I'm going to have a... A robust uh, career, and it's going to have a lot of things I'm doing. Because you know, as you know, and you're the best example of this. I mean, you you don't miss a beat. You are just impressive. You and Ratner, you, you guys aren't even old, okay? (laughs) You know what they say? They say that chronology. I just read this study the other day. That chronology really has less and less meaning today. You know, if you exercise, if you read. What are you, Dick? You're now 90, uh, no, Dick is now 80, Dick is, what are you, 81? I mean, think about this. This guy's as vigorous as anybody you'd meet 60 years old, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's just amazing if you engage and, and maybe you have some good genes too. That all works. Yes, sir, right here.
6: Hi, Governor. I'm former City Councilman Zachary, and I just want to say you talked about our young people, so, and you talked about race. My question to you is, the leading cause of death for an African-American male between the ages of 18 to 24 is homicide. Yeah. And in Cleveland, in the last six years, 700 individuals have lost their lives. Over 500 have been young black men. When President Barack Obama left and he started My Brother's Keepers, if you're fortunate to run for president and you win. What would be your strategy to help save lives of young black men that you talk about here in this room right here being students and working at Lordstown and working at these others if they're not even making it to
2: their 25th birthday? Well, I think, again, we've got to be back to tapping into the things they're interested in in school. You, You can't have high dropout rates. I think this is what I'm hearing is going to be a new business up here to try to connect kids, their skills, their passions with real work, because if you have work, right, you can have hope. If you if you go from one bad thing to another, then you get into drugs, and you know, then there's violence, and then there's gangs, and these kinds of things. It's a it's a it's a short trip down. So if we can get catch them early, and again, we're also back to community too, right? The the purpose of the of the of the. Uh, uh, the places of worship, whether they're Christian or Jewish or Muslim or whatever it is, they have to be intervening. And uh, it's a part of the problem we have with infant mortality is that it's got to be a community endeavor where it rises like this, sir. And uh, any of these organizations that can be empowered, you know, we have this mentoring program where schools can apply to get money so that the, the, uh, the private sector can work with the school system with the private sector being the driver of it, you know, whether it's a, a faith-based, I don't even know if we're doing faith-based now because of the lawsuits, but, but uh, you know, the YMCA or, the, or the, um, the Lions Club or whatever can apply for money. We need mentorship. I heard that yesterday. I mean, I know this, right? A mentor can change your life. So here's a, like an interesting idea. Why don't we have the, the businesses in Cleveland adopt a school? And that the uh, people who work in that business can be given a couple hours off to drive to a local school and mentor a kid. They get paid for it. They get paid to keep their job. In Cincinnati, there's an insurance company. They go to a school. They mentor these kids for one year. They spend like an hour or two a week, no more than that. And they do it for an entire year, and their graduation rate is, I don't know, like well over 80% in a school district where the graduation rate is like 60 percent. So it's a combination of things. It's also health care, right? That's why it was important to expand Medicaid so that single moms can work, can be in a better position to take care of their kids. Urban poverty is a great challenge. Rural poverty in some ways is so intractable. So we got to keep them both in mind. Rural poverty, urban poverty, and the violence, uh, what can I tell you about that? Uh, You've got to have police forces that are supported, but they have to be consistent with the community. And you get community and police together, you can make progress. But sir, I wish I could tell you how I could solve every problem in the world. <laughs> but I just don't have that answer. But I hope that answer helps you a little bit. Okay? Thank you. Who's got the? Yes, ma'am.
3: Uh, thank you very much for your years of service. I too am uh, looking forward to going out on the website and pulling down that document just to have a chance to see everything. I hear your passion about education and you just spoke about it because uh, an African proverb is the rise of any nation begins with the education of its children. And as an educator with over 40 years of experience, education must change. If we are going to serve our young population, I agree with your passion, it must change. But there is a difference between your children and the children right down the street on Euclid Avenue in right. East Cleveland. There's a, di- there's a difference. They don't have the opportunities that you have just mentioned and that you just talked about. As a 40-year teacher, I made sure that my children availed themselves to every opportunity I possibly could Many years ago, we used to have a roundtable with a gentleman by the name of Reverend Israel. He helped me to do all kinds of things. We had t- kids in school just three days and out in businesses. I agree. I get it. My thing is this. We need a different model for correcting those things that exist. Hospital 70 just isn't it. And I've looked at the statistics of Youngstown, because I'm a Youngstowner. I've looked at the statistics in Lorraine. Uh, But I also look at the statistics in East Cleveland. Governor Casey, we need a different model. We need that passion, that caring, that I hear coming from you, and I get it, believe me. I have just became a Kasich fan, even though I don't like House Bill 70, by believe me, by no means whatsoever, I hate it. But seriously, for the things that you yeah. have done, for the belief system that you just mentioned today.
2: Let me, let me ma'am, I got you. Yes, you. Know, let thank me tell you. you, there's not a more political operation inside the state of Ohio than the school board at Youngstown, it's atrocious. Okay, just read the Youngstown Vindicator, not exactly a Republican newspaper, okay? And the fact is, is that I'm not, look, I'm, I'm done here. You should be happy about that in about 40 days. But, you know, I want to tell you what I worry about. I worry about the fact that the legislature, because of the heat that gets generated in Lorraine or gets generated in Youngstown, gets rid of this. And uh, you do it, you get rid of it. These kids are gonna pay a price. I mean, I, this is not about me, it's just not about, it just has nothing to do with me. If you continue to allow these school districts to be so political, and then what's happening in Youngstown is more and more people try to migrate out, leaving a remnant that is more trouble, in more difficulty, uh, I don't buy it. I don't, uh, these school boards are so political, not all of them, many of them, too political. Don't wanna offend anybody. And don't want to offend the teachers. Don't want to offend the principal. Don't want to offend the union. Don't want to offend anybody. And you know who's being offended? The kids. And I'm, look, I, you know I feel strongly about it. And there are many people trying to do good things out there in these schools. And there are some schools that are just absolutely fantastic. But we need, we do need a new model. And House Bill 70 or whatever the name of it is, that's only one thing. That's not that doesn't solve the problem. It's just one thing to grab a hold of the problem. But the ultimate answer is us. We're the ultimate answer, what we do, what we do with these kids, how we take them in, how we drive them. You know, I, yet, I'll give you one last story. So yesterday I had these 12 or 13 kids from southern Ohio, and they were, their parents are all in and out of prison on drugs. These kids are, we created a thing at the YMCA down there where the kids can go, they can get there, they get driven, and they live in the hollers. I mean, they don't live, you know, five miles away. They're in the middle of nowhere. And this one girl, she says, I like to dance. We have no programs, no art programs for dance. Well, You want to know what that young lady needs? She needs somebody from Ohio University, which is a 30-minute drive, to pick her up and drive her down there and, and get her her dance and get her her art and get her inspired. So that's a, that's a problem for somebody, right? Why do we have art in the well, I, I'd love to have the art. They don't have them in the school because they're a, a tiny little, they're a, this is why, because they're a tiny little town, a tiny little town. That's what I said to them. You got a music st- uh, store in town? No. All we have is a gas station and one restaurant. This challenge is huge. But the answer is somebody spend a little time, pick that young lady up, take her to where they do have this, and inspire her, and that is the answer. But it's on us. You know, who are we going to drive? Who are we going to mentor? Who are we going to encourage? That's that's a large part of it. And we don't, we're not all into that, but we all have a gift that's unique unto us. So I'm so glad to be here with my friend, and with the whole Celeste family, and peep so many of you that I've come to have have great affection for. Uh, I'm not going to go away. I'm going to be around. I'll be a voice, regardless. I hope whatever whatever uh, I'm going to do. And uh, I always love coming to this to this place. Uh, from the very beginning, I liked coming here. Was a lot more nervous when I first came here, <laughs> but now I'm a lot more comfortable. And uh, I love y'all. God bless Cleveland. God bless Ohio. And God bless our country.
0: Today we've been enjoying a forum with Governor John Kasich and Governor Before You Step Out if you ever have an announcement you need to make in the coming months just (laughs) let us know. We welcome guests at tables hosted by Cleveland State University, Cuyahoga Community College, the Metro Health System and the Celeste family. We also welcome students from Gilmore Academy. Support for student participation in City Club forums comes from Key Bank and the William M. Weiss Foundation with additional support from donors you'll find listed in our program today. We thank all of you for being here today. That brings us to the end of our forum. Thank you, Governor Kasich. Thank you, Governor Celeste. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Our forum is adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org.